Mother Earth's medicine chest is full of healing herbs of incomparable worth. That is such a great quote from Robin Rose Bennett. Welcome to this episode of Heal, conversations to guide you toward personal growth and overall well-being. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of HEAL. Today we have Dr. Elizabeth Guthrie. She is an author, a board-certified wellness practitioner with a PhD in natural medicine. It's so nice to meet you. Hi. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here today. I am too. I know that we had some trouble back and forth trying to schedule, so I'm happy that it's finally happening. Yes. And it always happens when it's supposed to. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Quite yeah, I'm really because, to be here. Oh, go yeah, ahead. I'm, I'm excited to have you. I'm so excited to learn more about your practice and um, about you and how you got to where you are today. Um, so I always say this to almost every one of my guests, because I was a kindergarten teacher, that when you were five years old and your teacher asked you what you wanted to be, did you say, I want to be, you know, a board certified right. wellness practitioner? Oh. So it's really interesting that you say that, or that that's the question that you like to ask, because when I was young, I didn't know people did herbalism or or natural medicine in general as a career. Uh, my mother was an herbalist, is, is an herbalist. My grandmother that's is interesting. an herbalist. I don't know yeah. how old you are, but I would never have, I never even heard of such a thing when I was growing up. So it wasn't even a thing. Right, right. And that was like my mom and my grandmother both have been herbalists through the years, but they weren't. It was just stuff we had around the house. It wasn't ever anything that was clinical. My mom was interested in the research as we as I got a little older, um, you know, life extension came out with a lot of research around the different supplements and things like that. And so it was really interesting, but I didn't know people had careers in it until I got into college. And that's when I found out it was a thing. Um, If you'd asked me when I was five years old what I wanted to be when I grew up, I don't know that I would have had a good answer. I was just along for the ride. I might have said librarian because I love to read. I I learned very early. Yeah. Um, But I don't know that I would. I think I'd have just looked at you cross-eyed and been totally confused because I was just here for whatever at that point. (laughs) I don't even remember being five. (laughs) Oh, I remember very few things about my kindergarten class. Now, I do know as I got older, I got really fascinated with genetics. I really thought for a long time that I would be into some form of genome type work. Uh, you know, um, Watson and Crick, the men who took Rosalind Franklin's information and figured out the DNA structure from all of her notes. Um, the they had a book that had come out, The Double Helix, and I read that, and I was just fascinated by this idea of how our bodies could hold so much information about us into such a tiny little um, segment. You know, I mean, of course, DNA itself is very long, all things considered, but it was just a really fascinating thing for me. And as I got a little older, I got really interested in the epigenetics of things and how our experiences and the stress that we have on our bodies has actually changed our genetics a little bit. And of course we pass that down through the generations. 
right. which comes into play with the trauma work that I do. But genetics also has a little bit to do with some of the um, constitutional analysis and things like that, that I'm into as a practitioner. So it's really interesting from a lot of different angles to look back at the thing fascinated with in middle school right and see how even though I've not gotten into the complexity of like DNA sequencing or genetic yeah. therapies I can see how the the interest I had in epigenetics especially came into play with the trauma-informed work that I do now yeah yes yeah I'd love to hear more about that work so most oh, you don't of have to I... jump there you don't have to jump oh, there right like, now. I'll be glad to just jabber I tell you whatever you feel like <laughs> you can do whatever yeah. you want I mean really I'm just gonna listen <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's been interesting because um, when we think about trauma, a lot of the times we think about what happens to us directly, right? The, right? the personal layer of trauma, as it were. And what we don't necessarily honor as much is, is the, now we are starting to see more of this, right? Generational trauma is becoming more of a thing. You'll hear people talking about healing generational trauma. And one aspect of that is the epigenetics and how things change. And we inherit certain resilience factors from our mothers. And so there's all these different fascinating things that we can't necessarily change that we inherited it, but a lot of the trauma-informed care in the natural medicine world can help us to reshape those epigenetics into something that offers us more resilience. And right. you see that a lot with yoga teachers. Like there's a lot of trauma-informed yoga teachers now that are into this and mm -hmm. I'm a yoga teacher and I love it. But where my focus is, is in plant medicine, you know, herbalism, aromatherapy, that kind of thing, and trying to bring that to the forefront of that field. <laughs> I think that that's a great idea. I think that I've been working um, with a yoga teacher in my studio, and she's also, she went into yoga because of her own personal trauma. Um, and I can understand how that movement and shifting energy and uh, releasing some of that physical trauma on the body um, right. can be so beneficial. Dr. Peter Levine has written a book called Waking the Tiger and everybody loves it. But I really encourage people, whether you've read his first book or not, he has another book called In an Unspoken Voice. It is a newer book and I feel like it encompasses a lot of the original ideas, but it takes it one step further as far as like somatic processing and noticing what you're feeling in the body. So if you're interested in somatics, that's a great starting point to understand a little bit more about it. Of course, everybody says the body keeps the score by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. That's also a very good one. But I've become very fascinated with Dr. Levine's work because a lot of what he has discovered parallels the things that I see in my own practice when I'm working with, with my clients. Mm -hmm. Um, there's just so many, like, it's almost hard to narrow it all back down when you're like, let's talk about trauma-informed care. And, and yeah. why well, at least people are talking about it. Right. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I worked in a school, in a, a school district, um, and there were six elementary schools, and um, two of those elementary schools were um, allowed to receive some professional development training on trauma-informed schools and teaching um, because our two schools had the lowest socioeconomic um, group of kids and very diverse schools, but we had the highest, you know, free and reduced lunch, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, right. So we were exposed to at least a little bit of trauma 
um, informed type pedagogy, if you will, of teaching. So I, I was very grateful for that, but it, it intrigues me more because I think everyone has their own bit of trauma. Um, it's almost like a spectrum <laughs> of right. trauma. Um, and it's always really nice to know that even at, at public education is now starting to use those words and at least understanding you know, that we need to think differently and teach differently and approach differently with any student. Right. Because just because uh, the, they are low socioeconomic, even though they might be more at risk, um, I, I think all kids have some form of childhood adversity or trauma. So it's important that everyone looks at children with a different lens, I suppose. No, it's true. And and trauma-informed care could be extrapolated into almost any field. If you are working with other people, then having some understanding of trauma-informed care is extremely important. And I even, when I wrote the Trauma-Informed Herbalist, I wrote it to practitioners to help practitioners to understand better. But what I went back and did as I began editing it was I realized that this is something that everybody needs. Like, I think we would be kinder towards ourselves even sometimes if we understood better how trauma was affecting us. And so when I went back, I reworded some sections and I added in some things to help it be something that would translate for people who are in the, the lay people, as it were, you know, not just practitioners. And so my grandmother was a little afraid of it. She said, well, I don't know, you know, you're about to have your PhD and it's just, I know you know all these big words and I don't know if I'll be able to enjoy it, but she read it and enjoyed it. So and my mother, my grandmother's a very intelligent person, but she's not clinically trained. So I always say my grandmother read it. Everybody can read it and get something from it. Yeah. And when we do that, when we acknowledge what we're going through or what our friends are going through or just the people around us, it brings us to a place where not only do we have more resiliency because we're able to kind of relax some of those um, so some of those tough thoughts that we have towards ourselves, but I really think it brings us to a place where we have a little more patience with people around us because we begin realizing how, how often trauma can affect people. Mm -hmm. And especially after the last three years and what we've been through with COVID and the uncertainty and having to stay separated from each other, trauma thrives in isolation and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And everybody has been through a lot of this isolation and uncertainty over the last three years. So, so yeah, I absolutely agree that the more we understand about this kind of thing, the better we can reconnect as a community. I think, yeah, and building that compassion, uh, you know, I always say towards others, but really it's about understanding yourself and being more gentle with yourself and giving yourself right. that you know, grace and love that you might just um, give so freely to others. I just, I feel like, I feel like working with others and understanding trauma exists in others and approaching them with that thought eventually will come back to you. And in the sense of, because, you know, working with other people, you tend to forget about yourself for a bit. And I guess what I'm trying to say, not so eloquently, is that, <laughs> is that, you know, if you approach others with compassion and empathy and understanding, 
then eventually, if you don't turn it around to yourself, hopefully you will. I think that's the right. hardest thing for people is to understand that, yes, I, you know, if you're talking about yourself has have been through trauma, why, why am I not being that kind to myself? I think that's an, also an epidemic. Um, right. In this world, like we, we're, we don't take care of ourselves as much as we should, and we really need to. Right. There are several aspects to that. The first one being that a lot of people have complex trauma, which is not an official diagnosis yet. Like if you go and you look at the DSM-5, which is the therapist diagnostic manual, right? That you're not going to find that diagnosis yet. CPTSD or complex PTSD is still kind of considered a colloquial term, Mm -hmm. but we are starting to see recognition for that. And one of the biggest signs of complex trauma when somebody has suffered through complex trauma is having a very strong inner critic that is very difficult to, yeah, yeah. It's very difficult to relax that and give yourself that kind of compassion and grace that you might show towards other people. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people struggling with that. And if we do understand more about how trauma is an unresolved trauma that we hold in our, our body is a response that was meant to protect us. Yeah. And it, it, it wasn't a decision we made. It wasn't a weakness. It was literally a response from our body. Right. Uh, and I think some of that kind of thing can be very important to help us to to, to get back to that place where we can be more compassionate towards ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's, I think the biggest challenge with people that I work with and with myself, I, I am constantly, um, well, here's the problem. I'm so aware of what I'm thinking all the time. And I know that it, <laughs> I'm constantly talking shit about myself in my head. Guilty, guilty. <laughs> so I'm like, stop it. Gotta change that. Like I'm literally going insane for, from it. Like just knowing like, right. I gotta stop saying those things that like those things to myself. I wouldn't say that to my best friend. I wouldn't say that to my daughter. I wouldn't say that to anyone. I would never say those words to anyone. Why on earth am I uttering them to myself in my head? Right. And yes. it's exacerbated by a lot of the things that we feel from society around us. I don't mean to wax too political and all this, but I mean, some of trauma-informed care is recognizing that that we have certain systems in place that make these things harder on people, right? Marginalized groups and the systemic discrimination that they face, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times that can create more trauma in the long run. And when you're talking about this this overactive inner self-critic, we live in a capitalist society that recognizes that the harder we work, the more valuable we are, right? That is the overarching theory. Yeah. Work as hard as you can to prove your value. Yep. And when you go through something that's traumatic or when you end up with a chronic illness, which chronic illness can create trauma in and of itself, or if you have some form of disability, anything like that, that causes you to not fit that ideal of work as hard as possible to be valuable. Yep. It is very difficult to to, to, I mean, you can logically say, oh, I have, I have value, but there is a, there's another piece where you start to feel it emotionally. And that is a very difficult thing to achieve at first. And it takes time and it takes compassion, which of course can be frustrating because you're over here going on beating myself up about beating myself up. Right. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> this the- awful cycle in my head. I'm like, right? <laughs> and that here might. I am trying to build other people up and help them feel good about themselves. Cause they're amazing right. people and they don't see it. And, and then I just try to do that for myself and I'm like, Nope. 
Right. And that's part of where I have brought in a lot of the herbs that I work with and essential oils and things like that. Because sometimes when you have a, the ability to use plant medicine to help to soothe your nervous system a little bit and help to kind of regulate just long enough to get a glimmer of those moments where you can relax, like relax your entire body, not like, oh, just relax, but actually physically feel right. <laughs> right? That alone can be a frustrating word, but I'm that, just, oh no, that's a huge trigger one for me. I know, I know right. that I don't, I don't react from it that much anymore, but just don't tell me to relax. Just don't. Right. But like yeah. you can physically feel a relaxation that occurs when you use the right combination of herbs for what you're dealing with. And that moment, it's not a forced relaxation. It's not a, um, it, it is truly a moment where you're feeling that ventral vagal connection is what mm -hmm. they call it in polyvagal theory. And so when you're feeling that connection and safety and you're getting that through the plants and you're consistently getting it through the, the plants, the herbs that you're using on a regular basis, you're able to better capture that and you're able to better tame that inner critic. And give yourself those breaks. Is it an give me all the plants, like send them. <laughs> and it's not like an instantaneous overnight difference. It takes time, but it's another tool to have in your toolbox when you mm -hmm. are trying to recover from things like that. Mm -hmm. um, something came to me when you were talking and now it's totally gone. Like it left oh, no! my brain. No, it was good. It was, it was good because it was, I had a question. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> All I, kept think, all I kept thinking was send me all the plants and, and, the, <laughs> and then it left, it left my head. Well, um, so the interesting thing, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, like it's, like it's back. Do you think it came back? Oh, I, I don't fast? know. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Thought I knew. laughs> so the really interesting thing about all this is that you can't necessarily use all the same plants for everybody. Right. And that's part of the trauma-informed care that I try to teach the, the herbalists that I work with when they're looking to become trauma-informed themselves is when somebody has certain nervous system states, they may find themselves not being able to use certain herbs to their benefit. Mm -hmm. This was something that I noticed. So my trauma story, I'm not going to get in depth, but my trauma story. Listen, um, Dr. Elizabeth Guthrie. You can get as in depth as you want. You can, you can, you can, you can just tell us whatever you feel like. So here's, here's the reason I don't. When you read these books, like the body keeps the score and the waking the tiger book by Dr. Levine, or the one that I really like the, um, in an unspoken voice, they have a lot of very vivid stories in them Yeah, and they can be very activating for people. Yeah. And so a lot of the times they can be difficult to read and get the information you need out of them. And the reason for this, it's not a bad strategy. It's a strategy that they are writing these books to clinicians. They're writing these books for people who are trying yeah, to Yeah, so you need like case studies and you need to understand that this person right. went through this and this is how it helped them. I have to say, right. I agree with you. Sometimes hearing those, like the body keeps a score. I, I'll tell you, at one point, I listened to books on Audible, and they really should be paying me because I say their name on every podcast. Um, <laughs> I should get at least a free credit every every Audible, month. come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I should let them know. Um, when I listened to that book, which I really did truly love, because it was like, oh, you know, light, light, lights on now, I like I understand. Yeah. Um there was a point when I was like, 
okay, this is pissing me off. Like I, I got angry at one point yes. because, <laughs> yes, because they kept talking about these women who were, you know, uh, traumatized as children and women and women. And, and I'm like, I wish he would just talk about how men should stop attacking. <laughs> I got to the point where I was right. getting angry. Um, and I know right. that's not exactly what you just explained. Um, but I understand that it can be triggering for some people to hear these stories over and over it's this, again. But it's the same kind of thing. Like at one point he talks about a man who's so upset that his friend has been senselessly killed in a war. He goes out and commits war crimes. And he just kind of says it with no condemnation of the man. And the reason for this is that when Dr. Bessel van der Kolk wrote this book, it was for clinicians. It has a lot of really good information in it. It's very helpful, you know, but there are there are very activating stories in these books. So when I tell my story, I tend to not get too in-depth into it. You really um, don't have to. I just didn't want you to feel like you had to cut no, yourself you're good. short <laughs> or it's edit just, yourself. I, I want no. you to be comfortable and share whatever you want. Yeah, it's all good. I just, it's one thing to think about when we're talking about trauma-informed care and we're talking about this, like that is an aspect that's kind of important to consider. And yeah. so I, now other people don't do this and I'm not condemning them for choosing a different route, right? This is just, that's why I don't tell as much, but I worked 911 dispatch for almost a decade. And I have a lot of really wild stories from that. Like that alone could just be its own podcast. <laughs> it could just be... Um, and then I also have intimate partner violence in my past. And so after, and I, both of these things were happening concurrently. So I was, I was being abused and then having to pick myself up off the floor and go into 911 dispatch and work shifts at 911 dispatch. Um, and there was no, there was no way to get out of it. There's like, it's a whole thing. But when I started to finally get out of that situation, um, I started noticing these unresolved trauma symptoms bubbling up. And of course, at the time, I had no idea what it was. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I just knew that all of a sudden, my favorite plant, rhodiola, which is an adaptogen, it's a stimulating adaptogen that's used a lot after, um, if you go to the gym and you want to kind of recover faster, that's one of the herbs that you'll use. And I loved it because it helped me with recovering when I would do my, my exercise and everything it would give me panic attacks after huh. the trauma. It gave me panic attacks. So the, this fascinated me because I thought, well, something's wrong. That's, that's what happens when you have trauma and you start having unusual symptoms. You start thinking, well, this is just because I'm broken, right? Like people who try meditation and it makes them more anxious, they come out of it and they go, I'm broken. I can't do this. Can't, or somebody yeah, has heard. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I do, I do. I actually teach yeah. meditation. And it's funny, my sister, as an example, when, when she was practicing with me because I needed to, you know, practice as a teacher, um, right. she had such a hard time focusing on her breath because she has asthma, just like I do. Um, but I didn't have this reaction. Like, I didn't have that. I'm like, what? Right. Yeah. She's like, I can't focus on my breath. I'm hyperventilating. I can't breathe. I'm like, okay, okay, right. okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's no, very that's interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. So focus on the breath is a big one. Um, and, and not just from a, so physical, I talk about this in the book, right? Physical issues, medical issues can cause you to have trauma around breathing and it can cause that, that anchor to be difficult for somebody. But there's also, you know, there are also sociopolitical situations where there may be people of, of the BIPOC community, the black indigenous or people of color community 
when they think about the breath, they think I can't breathe. And that's a very activating thing. I mean, that's a, that, that reminds you of how unsafe it can be for people in America. And so there are all these little things like this that, that can come into play, especially after you've experienced trauma. Right. We see this with yoga, right? We have different forms of yoga and somebody may say, oh, well, yoga is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Well, if you go try that same class, it may, you may not respond the same way. <laughs> you may be like, why did you try to kill me? Like, this is the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> and so <laughs> when I'm talking to people about this, and especially when they first find out, like, you know, they'll say, oh, well, I've tried herbs before and it just, it just caused me to spiral or it caused me to feel very sick afterwards. I'll say, well, sometimes it has to do with your, your, the responses your body's creating from that trauma. So for me, I go into very sympathetic nervous system state, which is your fight or flight, very activated, very hypervigilant. Um, one of the things that bothers me or bothered me with meditation for a long time was I would get, if I was meditating anywhere but my house, I would instantly start paying attention to what the dangers around me might be. Yeah, um, so that makes it, sense. You know, it's funny. I start almost every meditation in my classes by saying, um, the door behind us is locked so people won't walk in. Right. <laughs> my eyes will stay open the whole time. Um, if right. you feel like you need to open your eyes, open your eyes. However, I'm keeping track of the space and making sure that we're safe. Right. Right. With and new people. That's what I try to say every time when there's someone new. Right. And that's the thing is you, you have to adjust your practice if you're trying to be more trauma informed. And so people, um, so for me with, with meditation and things like that, there's some of that that comes up, but with certain stimulating herbs, it was stimulating my already overstimulated nervous system. Yeah, that makes sense. And it was creating more panic. Do and you so have, do you have herbs? <laughs> no, I, all right. No, I can't. I'm going to literally, go, I'm, I don't want to do Oh, that's okay. Go ahead. What were you saying? No, that's okay. <laughs> I, well, you said that when you said, and I also remembered what I was going to say before. Um, yeah. I'm thinking about myself, of course, because, you know. <laughs> right, right. Isn't That's your main experience. All about me? Yeah. So I'm wow. thinking about my experiences and I'm thinking about being overstimulated. And I, you know, in these past maybe 10 years, I've noticed like lights sometimes bother me. Too much noise for too much time bothers me. I'm oversensitive to a lot of things on the outside. And I'm wondering if that is because of years of unresolved, you know, from when I was a child trauma. And I, and I'm, and then I was going to say to you, <laughs> send me all the plants. <laughs> I was going to say like, I, I, I feel like I need something to stimulate, but then at the same time, I feel like I'm overstimulated and I, and I wouldn't right. know that. Um, what I would need. Um, right. Okay. So there's, so here's a, here's a, what I was going to say before, and then we'll take a quick break and we'll come back to the, um, the plants, because I'm really, I have a couple of questions I think about, about that. I want to talk about like, what do you do? How do you work with people right. to contact you and all of that stuff? Um, so that I'm really interested in hearing. Uh, but before we do take that break, what I was going to say earlier was, the word safe and safety, um, I think the one thing that we all need to remember is we want to feel safe. I think in every situation, I think the bottom line is safety. 
Because once you feel that, then you can um, explore the feeling of self-worth, self-love, compassion, because when, because we don't, we don't practice self-love and compassion if we don't feel safe. And I don't know if that's a true statement, but it's just something that clicked in my head when you were talking about feeling safe. What do you think about that? And then we'll take a break. Yes. So, um, there's a lot of pieces to that. So we could talk about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is not Mm -hmm. the perfect, it's not the perfect model, obviously it's too linear, but there are some, there's some reason to feel like we have to have some of our basic physiological needs and sense of safety met before we can start looking towards these more, um, more higher functioning ideas, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That is a thing. But on top of that, I love that you're talking about safety because that is the 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 number one thing that's the foundation we have to lay, lay is it has we have to be safe first but it doesn't have to be a perfect sense of safety right we have to find ways to feel safe enough to explore these things yeah you don't have to perfect the feeling of safety before exactly there has to be basic. some level of i feel safe enough to take this risk and explore right. this. yeah exactly that is the first, I mean, matter of fact, I think I say this, don't quote me on this. <laughs> I believe <laughs> most of therapy, like psychological therapy, the first pillar is safety. So you have to have safety before you can get into the processing and then finally reintegration. And um, for the work that I do, it's absolutely the first step is we have to create an environment where people can feel safe enough in that moment to explore things further. We have to create an environment where people feel safe enough to not be spending all of their mental energy trying to maintain their symptoms and trying to keep things functional but instead they can focus on their healing and focus on communicating and and advocating for themselves when we're talking Mm -hmm. and once you feel safe enough for those moments that's where the real healing begins Mm -hmm. is being able to get to that place where you feel safe enough long enough to start trying to process and bring other things back into play Right. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm glad that we had that quick little sidetrack safety thing, because when you said it, it clicked and I forgot and it left. (laughs) And all of a sudden I'm wanting stimulants. (laughs) No, but that the one thing I'll say real quick before we go, that's the big thing is that for people who have the hypervigilance state, that fight or flight state, they have certain herbs and essential oils that work well for them. People who go into freezer fawn as their main state, that hypovigilance, that is a different set of herbs that could be beneficial. So that's why there's a difference here. Like you can't just throw all the relaxing herbs at somebody and say, here, this will relax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Relax. <laughs> Take this and relax. All right. <laughs> well, everyone else, just relax. We're going to be back in just a few <laughs> minutes. And then, you know, this is a podcast, so it's not like we're going away for a commercial, but you might hear a little commercial break. We'll be back in just a sec. If you're in the Mansfield, Massachusetts area and are looking for a space for yoga, meditation, great workshops, and life coaching support, check out Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. Mainstream even has a couple of virtual options if you don't live close by. Check out their offerings at mainstreammeditation.com. You can also follow Mainstream Coaching and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. 
The name is Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. And we're back with Dr. Elizabeth Guthrie. If you remember from so long ago when we weren't on our break, uh, <laughs> Dr. Elizabeth <laughs> Guthrie is a board certified wellness practitioner. She has a PhD in natural medicine um, and she's also an author. She has a second book coming out somewhat soon as well. Um, welcome back. <laughs> that was for you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm here. <laughs> I just thought we were continuing to welcome all our listeners. Welcome back, everybody. Um, yes. And Dr. Elizabeth <laughs> Guthrie. Anyways, yes. I wanted to talk a little bit more about your practice and how you do work with people. How can you determine what's best for them and how can they contact you if this is interesting to them? Um, tell me a bit about that process, if you don't mind. Yeah. So um, I have a book already out called The Trauma-Informed Herbalist. It can be a good starting place. I have a second book coming out here in a couple of months called Trauma and Essential Oils, which is a dive into the aromatherapy side of things. Um, I have I am, a podcast. I'm huge into um, essential oils. So yes. this would be really great. I, I like that idea. And what did you say? You didn't say you're a hot mess. Did you? What did you just say? <laughs> I am a hot mess, but I was not, I was not bearing myself. No. Uh, <laughs> So besides being a hot mess, I have a podcast. Podcast. Okay. It sounds like hot mess. <laughs> it's called the Trauma-Informed Herbalist and season yeah, one. I didn't know you were, oh, you had, a, okay. Podcast. Yeah. I got to write this stuff down, man. All right. Um, it's all good. Um, so season one, yeah, season one is out and it's, it kind of parallels the first book and season two will start in May and it will parallel the second book. That's great. So, oh, that's so yeah. wonderful. Another podcast for people to listen to that's helpful for their healing and potentially help them individually, even though right. what you're talking about, I think would help everyone. I think it's really nice that this, these two um, topics for season one and season two, I love how they follow along with your book, but I think that um, that's really helpful because, you know, I use essential oils in my practice and for myself when I'm at work practicing meditation and Reiki and all of that stuff. Um, I don't typically take it home. I'll use it sometimes for myself, but I don't diffuse it home just because of the pets and I just right. want to be safe with them. But um, I use it, but I, I use it. Uh, I don't know how to explain like the general reasons, you know, aromatherapy. Yes, but not so specific. So I'm very interested in learning more about that. Um, when your book comes up, I'll read it, but <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about how you work with people, um, how they can contact you and what to expect if they were to hire you. So my website is traumainformedherbalist.com. And that's kind of the hub where you can find everything. On there, I have a link to the membership page. And I work solely by membership now. So it's month to month. There's no contract. But people pay me monthly to work with me. And we work... Usually in the first month, you see me a couple of times, maybe three times. It's in-person and virtual. Uh -huh. And when I sit down with somebody the first time, we're going over their intake form. We're looking at family history, different things that bother them as far as like the, the symptoms that they have or maybe foods that have given them issues in the past, which is what's so interesting with what we were talking about on break. Because <laughs> in a vacuum, it's hard to say, oh, well, these food sensitivities lead to this, right? But 
we go through all of that. We go through what they're interested in working on. So one of the things I do a little bit differently from a lot of practitioners, I don't tell you, you have to take supplements. I don't tell you, you have to go to yoga class. I say, what of the things I offer are interesting to you? Because if we start your journey there in the things that you are in a place where you feel like you can change, that it feels like it will work for you, then you're more likely to succeed. Mm -hmm. So if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, some of this sounds really neat. Like, obviously, meditation is cool. Reiki is amazing. Like, I would love to get into the herbs, but maybe I just don't feel like I'm in a place like that's so overwhelming to think of all of those things. Start with just one thing. Mm-hmm. And just say, this is the one thing I'm going to do. And it could be something as simple as sitting down in the afternoon with a cup of tea. Finding a relaxing tea that you like. There's that word again, relax. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, stop telling find, me to relax. I know. <laughs> find a tea that that is very soothing and helps you to feel good in that moment. And sit down with it. And then just not doing, not scrolling Instagram, not doing my cardinal sin, which is scrolling TikTok for hours on it. <laughs> I love I it. used to set a timer for five minutes and get off in five minutes. Right, right. And you can do things like that. that can be really helpful. Um, but for this particular situation, you just don't want anything distracting you as much as possible. Or upsetting and, you unknowingly, and, you know, because that can also cause a bit of anxiety, social right. media, if you allow it. Yeah. Yeah. Doom scrolling and things like that can, can add to it. But it, the best thing that we can do, if we can get into just as, as common as, as comfortable a situation as possible, and then just sip on that tea for five to 10 minutes and just give yourself a moment. You're not going to, the entire time is not going to feel like a Hallmark movie. Okay. Like I'm not expecting you to sit down in front of the crackling fire and the children <laughs> are all going to be behaving and nothing is going to go wrong. Like No, but if we can catch little glimmers, just those little moments where maybe one sip, one breath feels very good where we are, right? Maybe we sit there and we realize by the end of the cup that we've actually had two or three minutes of our body feeling that sense of relaxation, right? right? And And safety, I'm going to add. (laughs) And so that's one, like I said, like just one thing like that, where you can feel safe enough in those few moments can make a big difference. Yeah. So I start people off there. Like, what can we do? And of course, when you're working with me, it's a little more complex than just sit down with a cup of tea. But for those of you who are just wanting something, that's that's my starting point for a lot of people. And then we talk about essential oils. We talk about herbs. And we talk about flower essences that can help somebody depending on what they've got going on. It's very oh, personal. Yeah, flower essences. Yeah. This is the second time that this has come up for me in the last couple of days. So it's interesting. Oh, really? Well, so I'm actually thinking about doing the third book on flower essences, but that's still kind of up in the air. Um, Well, now I think you really need to go on. (laughs) Yes. It's actually um, really interesting as comes to me and they have a lot of, of medication that they're on. I'm not interested in taking them off that medication because I'm not their doctor, right? We may do things that help to adjust just their body to the point where their doctor decides they need to take them off that medication. They may work with their doctor to wean off that medication, but that's not my role. I'm complementary. I'm integrative. I'm here to help people in my realm, not try to change what the doctor is doing. Right. Right. So somebody comes to me and they're on a lot of medication and they're not in a situation where we can safely use herbs. And aromatherapy may or may not be on the table, depending on what they've got going on. Flower 
our essences are almost always a given because it's an energetic form of medicine. It's a little bit like Reiki, right? Like mm-hmm. you can do this and it helps on that subtle energy level without interfering chemically. So we can use flower essences and we can usually supplement from a nutritional angle. So not, not necessarily using herbs, but maybe things like fish oil, something that can supplement some of the omega-3s and whatnot. And we can make a big difference with that alone. So there's a lot, lot of different ways to approach it. And it really depends on everybody's individual needs. It depends on where they are in their journey. If you're mm-hmm. coming to me fresh out of the gate, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, well, let's let's sit down with the essential oils and let you pick out three or four of them. And we're going to process through the physical sensations that come up, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that on your first session. But if I've got somebody who's been doing some work already, they already have resources to help them feel safe then we may sit down at a session and I may say, okay, well now you essential oils that you like, maybe it's lavender and sweet orange and bergamot pick between the three of these. And I just want you to smell them. I use little inhalers. Of course, I know we're on a podcast and so nobody can see this, but I'll show but you. I'd like to see it. These, yeah. These little, they almost look like lipstick tubes and the essential oil goes into a little glass tube inside. Okay. There's my camera. And so <laughs> my camera is at the bottom of my uh, sure of my it is. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> such a mess. Anyway, so there's a little cotton wick inside and the oils go into that cotton wick and then oh, nice. you can use them. Yeah. And they're not, they're relatively inexpensive, but we'll put whatever oil they've chose, we'll put it in this little inhaler and then they can uncap it and smell it. And then sit with it for a moment and see like, what are they feeling? Where are they feeling? And not emotions as much as physical sensation. And sometimes we, I, I, we label physical sensation as emotion. Yeah. But technically the two are a little bit different. Now one can cause the other, so on and so forth. But, but we could feel those sensations and name them specific, specifically and that actually causes us to become a little bit more connected with our body and what's happening in our body. And then I have other creative exercises that I use. Once we have recognized those, those feelings, then we use these other creative outlets to almost translate them slightly differently. So for instance, drumming might be an option. So like drumming the rhythm of that feeling. So what is that feeling if you're to to choose a rhythm for it? Like, what does that rhythm look like? And then they drum that rhythm. What does that look like? What does that rhythm sound like? Yeah. <laughs> and or then feel. I know you said look and it was funny for you, but it made sense to me or feel yeah. or yeah. Right. How, yeah. how do you express that? And then what that does is it causes a person to have to translate that sense through a different part of their brain so that they can have that creative outlet, which helps to reconnect parts of the brain that were maybe a little bit disconnected after the trauma. And all of that helps to reintegrate the sense that's happening in the body. And when we become more aware of what we're feeling in our body, that embodiment brings us back into the present moment, which helps us to be able to heal and process further. Right. Wow. It sounds unbelievable. I mean, just what you explained <laughs> sounds like, that sounds fabulous. <laughs> yes, please. It, it, yeah, it takes a couple of uh, sessions to get there. Like I don't start people out with that, right? Like we have yeah. to get some of the basics under. No, under I think when you start to work with someone new, it's important that you establish a whole bunch of other things before you can jump in right. and do that stuff. But right. 
But it just sounds great. Um, that's something I definitely would like to explore more um, in depth is essential oils and how to use them to help heal. I do have a couple of books and I have been trained a little bit, but I'd like to learn more. Um, but I would really like to learn a little bit about herbs for sure. And I think yeah. that um, I know so many people who make tinctures and it just, it's wonderful. And I, and, and I've tried Bach, Bach flower essence. Yes, Bach flower essence. Yeah. I wasn't sure what so, I was doing with it. Someone suggested it and I bought it <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I put it in my mouth, I think. And then I was like, okay. And I didn't use it anymore. <laughs> I find flower essences under the tongue are best. Yeah. Because you have some of the meridians, some of those energies that run through your tongue. So if you put it under your tongue, it's almost like those vibrational patterns get into your Got subtle it. energy flow better. Um, and it wasn't explained for, to me. So now that you oh, tell no. me all this, I'm like, I shouldn't have thrown the damn stuff away. Oh no. I yeah, know. Not I didn't know what it was for. The lady was just like, you should try this one and this one. I think it was like, ah, uh, lavender and something else. Hmm. I don't remember. No, I don't remember. <laughs> it was probably three, four years ago. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, there are different ways that people use them. Some people put them directly in like tea and things like that. But I find that under the tongue is the strongest way to start feeling it. Um, but for the the herbs, which of course is why we're here today, right? We've talked for what, like 40 minutes at this point. I still haven't really talked about the plants. Um, <laughs> herbal medicine <laughs> was something that I was around as a child, but right. I didn't really understand the the power that it had or the way that it could help you know, a wider range of people. I just thought you just use some of them when you needed them. And that was about it. Right. And as I've gotten older and I've started to actually study herbalism from a clinical perspective, and I've started to really start to implement plants into the work that I do. Um, I have really begun to appreciate how strong that medicine is when we use it correctly. Now, the, obviously, the caveat to this is if you're on any kind of psychiatric medications, any kind of benzodiazepines, things like that, you need to be paying careful attention as to what herbs might be contraindicated, right? Mm -hmm. You do some safety research before you start going, oh, well, Dr. Elizabeth said on this podcast that I should do this. And so I'm going to go do it because like there's a lot of safety things to consider. But one of the best groups of herbs that works really well for a broad group of people, not everybody, but for a lot of people, are nervine herbs. That's N-E-R-V-I-N-E, -E, nervine herbs. N-E-R-V-I-N-E? -E. Yes. And these herbs, most of them are very relaxing. They help the nervous system to, to be soothed. And so nervines, nervous system, right? Pretty easy to remember. Things yeah. like lavender, chamomile, peppermint, lemon balm, or melissa, um, different things like that can be very soothing when we are feeling overwhelmed. So whether you are going into a fight or flight state, or you're going into that freeze or fawn state, or any combination, there's other nuance to that, but whatever you are feeling as far as your trauma response the nervine herbs, if you find the right combination, can be very soothing for your body and help you to feel like you are able to, to, to handle more. You're more resilient. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these things can be found at the grocery store mm -hmm. in the tea aisle. I was going to ask you, how do you ingest them? Do you drink them in a tea? Do you sprinkle them on your food? 
um, do yeah. you smoke them? I mean, like, <laughs> it's interesting. I've had people ask me a lot about smoking herbs recently, and maybe that's my sign, right? Maybe I need to start looking into it because I don't do a lot with smoking herbs. Um, I don't do anything at, at this point in time with inhalation of herbs. I don't inhale. Sorry. <laughs> um, but there are a lot of really powerful medicines that are found that way. Um, and and there are things there are people out there who are studying that in depth. The majority of what I do with herbs is ingestion. So we're gonna be and not essential oils. Essential oils I mostly inhale, but with herb whole plant extracts, we do ingestion. The easiest way to kind of become acquainted with some of it is through teas. Mm-hmm. Tinctures are stronger. So alcoholic tinctures are a lot stronger. You only need like a dropper full most of the time to get good effects. Some of the herbs, you only need literally drops of them, not dropper fulls, but drops. So if you're interested in doing alcoholic tinctures, they're relatively easy to learn the basics. You put dried herbs in a jar, throw some brandy over it and shake it for two weeks. Shake it every day for two weeks. And you'll have a tincture. That is a very, very, very tip of the iceberg discussion. But that's how you get a tincture. Yeah. And so um, we can do dose smaller amounts of that and get a stronger response than we get from teas, which can be a good thing in the right situations. There are also glycerites, which can help if somebody is not um, not comfortable with alcohol, maybe they have a past where that's, you know, a problem for them, or they've had other people in their past and it's linked to the trauma that they've encountered. Right. Right. They may not want to touch alcohol or they may have religious convictions against it. So if we have those kinds of situations, then glycerites can be a good uh, substitute. And that this is a, an extraction that's made out of glycerin and water. Mm -hmm. and the herbs go into that. It's very sweet. It's the sweet part of fat. And um, they're just a really good alternative. They're not quite as strong as tinctures, mm -hmm. the alcoholic tinctures, but they do have a lot of the same effects, the same benefits. Mm -hmm. um, they're great for kids, especially. <laughs> so like, well, got, it's sweet. It's sweet, right? Yep. It's sweet. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of my, the, I do in, individualized things for my U.S. clients. Now, overseas clients is a little bit different, but for my U.S. clients, the individual um, tinctures I will make. And I will I will do some alcoholic tinctures combined with some glycerites, and it almost kind of creates a cordial taste. Um, so you can look these things up. If you're interested in this kind of thing, you can go and learn the different ways that you could ingest them. And there are some ways that are more beneficial than others, depending on the plant, the types of constituents. But at the end of the day, just a basic tea can mm -hmm. help you get a feel for some of the herbs and, and the tastes that you like. Mm -hmm. The second category of herbs, the nervines are the first, they're kind of a general overall good to go type category, right? The second category are called adaptogens. And adaptogen herbs help the body by kind of creating an, they help the body adapt to whatever environment they're in. So they're building a bit of resilience from kind of this non-specific adaptogen response. There's not a specific system that works on, it just kind of works on the body overall. And we have relaxing adaptogens and we have stimulating adaptogens. So this comes back into what I was talking about earlier with rhodiola. That's the first herb that I realized, whoa, like this is not working for me the way it used to. 
stimulating adaptogens can stimulate the nervous system. And if you're already overstimulated, it may be too much. Mm -hmm. But for people who are hypovigilant, maybe have gone into that, that freeze response, they may find the stimulating adaptogens like rhodiola and ginseng to be very helpful for them. There's also neurodivergence, certain things, certain people who have ADD or ADHD may find that the stimulating adaptogens are help, more helpful for them. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of nuance to this. That's why it's kind of hard to be like, if you have this, do this. No, this Sometimes is exactly what I mean, why people need to research or uh, right. use, you know, go to your website, um, at least start there, start with your books and then right. potentially hire you because- there seems to be so much to it. Well, there is right. so much to it that right. uh, a lay person such as myself might think, oh, I'm going to go get a peppermint tea because I want to do that. But, you know, I do it because it, it soothes my stomach. If it's upset, I do right. that if I need something warm to drink and I love peppermint. Right. Like I, I never think of any relaxing. Um, I, I, I don't think that it's relaxing, but it, maybe it is. Right. So I think it's really important to hire someone that knows what they're talking about. <laughs> and you can experiment. And like I said, like you have the stimulating adaptogens, you have the relaxing adaptogens, things like ashwagandha or adaptogenic herbs that aren't actually adaptogens, but very similar, like holy basil. It's very relaxing. You, you can go out there and you can, you can do some research into it. You can try some of these things out. You may find some things that work really well. You may also notice things that don't work so well for you. And there are a lot of people that do a lot of this by themselves and get some okay results out of it. Like mm-hmm. they, they see some results. Um, but I do agree that a lot of the times when you're already in a state where you have a lot going on, trying to add this journey as your own personal like experiment. No, and I'm also the type of person yeah. that would be like, tell me what I should take. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I mean, I don't, again, I don't take medication typically, but if I were to go, if I were to hire you, I would be like, listen, this is the deal. <laughs> Tell me what to try. Like, I don't want to explore. Right. I don't want to explore right. this and that and the other things, especially since I've had such weird issues with things like mushrooms of all things. Right. And, you know, like, I just, I don't know. I'd be like, this is what I'm experiencing. What can I try? Right. Um, what's your thought behind that? And all right, let me try it. Uh, you know, so this is just fabulous. I'm so excited that we talked about yeah. this. I'm glad we got a chance to. And I think the important thing that a lot of people can take from this, I mean, obviously, if you feel like exploring, go for it. But I do encourage you to consider at least reading one of my books and kind of getting a feel from that angle. Right. And at the end of the day, the biggest thing one way or the other is, is if you tried a natural therapy, whether it be yoga or meditation or herbalism, and you've gone in there and you've tried it out and you just came out of it feeling worse than before. Know that it's not a matter of you being broken. It's a right. matter of needing to adjust things. Yeah. So certain things work great for certain people, but after trauma, it may not work the same for you. And it's right. not because you're broken. It's just a matter of adapting to the situation and trying something from a slightly different angle. That's a great point. Thank you. Yeah. So everyone who is listening, if you are interested in hiring Dr. Elizabeth Guthrie, you can. And I will put all of her contact information in the podcast notes. So you don't need to stop, pull over and write it all down. It'll be there for you. Um, just click away. <laughs> and do you have anything else you want to share before I ask you the three questions I ask everybody? I No, I think, 
you know, I could jabber about this all day, but I think we've I'm hit sure. the highlights. <laughs> like, I'm I think sure. we've really hit the highlights. To me, it's very important to always remember that, like, it, just because I've said that something works for the majority of people doesn't mean it works for everybody. Yeah. And that's the whole part of this. This trauma-informed care is about recognizing that there are always exceptions to the rules and that if you're not finding the right solutions, then work with somebody like me, or maybe you have a local clinical herbalist, whatever, like work with them to figure out what you need. And don't be afraid to lean into that and find things, you know, that can help you now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, oh my God. In and out of my brain. I'm sorry. I'm the worst put podcast host. <laughs> Oh, it's okay. I think you're going to ask me your three questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it. definitely. There was something else before the three questions. Oh yeah. Uh, I just don't remember it. Son of a gun. Oh, you know what? I was probably thinking this thought because it was in my head almost this whole time. Um, and I'm so proud of myself for not blurting it out. Cause I do definitely have impulsivity when it comes to speaking, um, which does not make a good podcast host, but that's okay. I enjoy okay. myself. Um, <laughs> Plants have been around forever. What did people do before medicine? Well, they had plants, like, right? Right. So that's that's just what I was thinking. I know it's obvious, but. And a lot of our pharmaceuticals have been derived from plant extracts. Right. I mean, plants were the original form of medicine. And it that's wasn't right. this kind of medicine we think of today. Normally, when we think of medicine today, we think we take this for our symptoms, symptoms go away. And a lot of the times with herbal medicine, you have to look at the whole person. You have to look at their constitution, which is what I was talking earlier with genetics, right? Mm -hmm. Like looking at what a person is naturally, like their natural disposition, what they're more likely to need, the supports they need. And looking at it from the angle of how do we support the whole body so that the body can heal itself. And I'm more into the root cause of things other than the like calming the symptoms. I don't want to- Yeah, I know it's uncomfortable to have a headache, but why do I have this headache? You know, like what right. what's causing that? Or, and that's a general example, but you know what I mean? Like I would much rather right. solve the issue and not mask the symptoms, so. Right, and there are ways to do both, right? Like you can do things that help. Like if somebody, a lot of the work I do is in the nervous system, but I also work a lot in the digestive system and the immune system, because there's a lot of Um, indications that if somebody is dealing with unresolved trauma, their digestive system and their immune system both can be really out of whack. And a lot of the times we do have some symptom control that we do while we are healing that root cause. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like an either or scenario, but like you said, like that root cause is the most important piece because otherwise you're just constantly covering it up. Right. Not to mention things are usually getting worse. (laughs) Not to mention covering up and, and, and causing other side effects because <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, thank you so much. I do have three questions and I yes. rarely forget asking them. It's just all the <laughs> other things that run in and out of my head during a, during an interview that I forget. <laughs> um, now, you know why I take up, took up meditation. Okay. When you are feeling at your most peaceful, what is it that you're doing? Oh no. Why'd you have to ask that? What, Cause I, I ask everyone that, <laughs> sorry, deal with it. <laughs> no, I know you're good. I'm just trying to think like, like, okay, now my one. neurodivergence, yeah. My neurodivergence is going to come out because now I'm going to be like, well, what do you mean by no? Okay. Exactly. Problem- because go ahead, ask me the question. <laughs> I am never 
at my most peaceful other than if I'm meditating and even when I'm meditating, it's like, you know, it's like a so ping pong me, match. <laughs> right. It's a, there's a couple of different ways. So like there, I would say that it depends on what part of my piece I'm looking for. How so about, for instance, how about emotional uh, peace? Um, how about so mental peace? How about mental? Because two things. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I, I yeah, I, I like, I like, as a matter of fact, it's funny you said mental and emotional because if I'm looking for my mental piece, I'm going to be buried in a book. I'm going to be reading something so that I'm elsewhere. I'm giving myself a break because otherwise I'm running through lists. I'm thinking about what has to happen next. So on and so forth. So a book kind of creates like a place where my monkey mind. What kind of just... book? Like fiction? Story? Fiction. Mostly okay, go fiction. on. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, can't, I, can't and, under, and... I can't imagine like a, a, a nonfiction type reading to learn something <laughs> would, would help calm me down. <laughs> I'm not that much of a Hermione Granger. It's not happening. <laughs> um, the the second thing for the emotional piece is gardening. Gardening, being physically connected to the plant, the plants, being out there. I may my mental mind may be chattering about seven other things that need to happen, but my physical body being connected to the earth and being in that process of creation for me really helps with the emotional side. All right, thank you. Um, and now that we've made the distinction, since you asked. I might change that question. I'm so sorry. I didn't oh my that. God, stop it. That's like the fourth time you apologize. What are you sorry for? I'm keeping the question, but right, I, right. what I might do instead, and I hope no one listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> what I might do instead is see how they answer. And in my head, be like, hmm, they mean, they thought I meant physically. Like, how did they right. interpret that right. question? Because I've never thought of it. I've always thought of it as, and this is, says a lot about where my mind is, um, mental, right? Because I'm so disconnected from my physical body most of the time, <laughs> right? You well, know? It's, it's true, and like the the that's why they say a change is as good as a rest, because you can physically rest, but sometimes what you need is a mental change in order yep. to give your mental brain a break. So yeah, sorry, yep. I just. Very. Oh very my God! I'm gonna nuanced. tally how many times you said you were sorry. I'm <laughs> hanging up on you. Hanging up. On we're about you. to. We're about to get where I'm gonna start apologizing for apologizing. <laughs> I know. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to say I was sorry. Okay. Now, I you mentioned so many books, which were wonderful resources. Yes. But if you were to recommend only one, <laughs> I'm gonna tie you into one. What oh. would it be? Like life changing. Everyone needs to read this book. And wow. I don't care what okay. kind it is either. The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris. Why? So we've talked a lot about Dr. Bessel van der Kolk's work and of course, um, Dr. Peter Levine's work because they are more popular. And I feel like more people will hear that and go, oh, I've heard of that. Yep. But if you're really wanting to read something that talks about adverse childhood events mm -hmm. and the healing process, the book, The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris is by far a more fascinating, more nuanced read. So I should go on Audible and download it? Mm -hmm. Audible, where's that sponsorship? Yes. yes. Mm -hmm. I'm on there right now. <laughs> um, all right, thank you. What's this? I just bought the Energy Codes. Have you heard it? I have heard of it. I don't think I've ever... I'm, I'm listening to it now. Not right now. I mean, <laughs> right, right now. 
Sorry, I haven't been paying attention to you. I'm just listening to the energy codes. All right, <laughs> last question. Are you ready? Yes. If money wasn't an object, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? Oh, if Okay, so if money wasn't an object, I would absolutely have a free clinic that would be traveling into some of the areas around us that need more holistic support. And I would um, join you. Yes, come. No, it really, it, there's, there's several different areas here in, in Alabama. I'm in, I'm in Alabama. I'm not ashamed of it. I promise. No, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm in Alabama and we have a lot of very um, rural areas where people don't have access to as much of this kind of knowledge. They mm -hmm. don't have access to it. And what I would love to do is be able to go and teach classes where it's appropriate and, and have clinics where it's appropriate and, um, do things that would help that community based on what that community needs. Yep. So and what they're interested in. Yep. Well, my master's degree is in public health. And so one of the things that that we kind of learned through that program is that a lot of the times we may think we know what somebody needs, but that doesn't mean that that's actually what they need. Right. right. And so we have to recognize that just because my ideal would be to go like have consults with everybody and hand them herbs and be like, here, take this, you know, I'm the greatest healer of all time. Like that's <laughs> not necessarily what people need. And so like, I, if I had the ability to hire people to help me do some, some community research to understand like what the community needs and who can I empower in that community to be able to, to do, you know, the, the classes or whatever, like that would be where I would go with it. I love um, that. But that's a huge amount of money that I don't have. <laughs> yeah. But money's not an object. It, yes. It, with the Maybe you can find a, a, a rich benefactor. So there find, you go. Just find Somebody someone call to, me. Yeah. If you're <laughs> listening to this podcast, just click on the links in the podcast notes. <laughs> Shoot me an email. Let's go. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. I really do appreciate it. I loved hearing about how you help others. Um, and I am super intrigued. I, I think I might contact you. <laughs> yeah, let's talk. Don't be surprised if some of my listeners start following you on Instagram. Um, Good. They tend to listen to the episode, follow the person, buy the book. I hope, uh, and that is all good because that's why we're here, right? That's why we're here to spread different ways of um, learning how to help yourself uh, through honoring your past, educating yourself, awareness, and love. So, and that's heal. <laughs> I think I just recorded a commercial. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Thank you so much again. I really do appreciate you. And it was so nice to talk Thank to you. you. If there's anything else you'd like to say, now is your opportunity. Uh, no, I think, I think this has been amazing. Thank you for having me on. And oh, yeah. it really, to me, it is, it is a matter of let's try to just encourage each other to find the things that work. And if this message has resonated with you, then reach out. And if it hasn't, then look at these other episodes because some of the stuff that Elizabeth has done here is, is fantastic. So thank okay. you again for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and everyone else, I will be back. Just me in just a few seconds. If you're in the Mansfield, Massachusetts area and are looking for a space for yoga, meditation, great workshops, and life coaching support, check out Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. Mainstream even has a couple of virtual options if you don't live close by. 
Check out their offerings at MainstreamMeditation.com. You can also follow Mainstream Coaching and Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. The name is Mainstream Coaching and Wellness. And here I am. I am back. Just came back to say one more time, thank you so much for joining us. We are so excited that you enjoy this podcast and keep coming back for more. We can't wait to see you next time. But until then, may you be happy, healthy, safe, and live a life that's filled with ease. Thank you. Bye.